Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. What a crazy time for the United States and for the world. We are all in lockdown due to the coronavirus. Businesses and schools are closed, doctors, nurses, EMTs, firefighters, lab technicians, scientists, everyone doing what they can to help. And still, people are dying, and it's terrifying. Our world has not seen anything like this since the Spanish flu of 2018. We walk around our neighborhoods for exercise, being mindful of social distancing, trying to keep ourselves six feet apart. Moms and dads are doing their best to homeschool their children, and they struggle to explain why their kids can't go out and play with their friends or do anything social. And many people are trying to figure out how to work effectively from home, while small businesses fear they will never survive. Millions of Americans have filed for unemployment with many more to come. And people in just about every country in the world are dying alone from the coronavirus. We are all scared to death. This is a time we will never forget. It's the kind of story we're going to tell our grandchildren years from now. So as I tried to put together a show for this week, I knew it had to have something to do with the coronavirus. But I also knew it had to have something to do with a woman who's working in a field that we might not know a lot about. In the spotlight, a woman who has spent her entire career in the funeral service. I wanted to talk to her today with so much death everywhere to find out what we could learn about what happens to our loved ones when life is over, especially now during this unusual time in the world. Her name is Deborah Briss Wolf, and this is her story. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Candy, for having me. You are the great-great-granddaughter of Jacob H. Levine. He's the founding father of Levine Chapels. So I guess I want to know, what was it like when you were a little kid and you would go and visit Levine's chapel? I remember it feeling very important, like it was an important place. But I was so young, I wasn't sure why. And it wasn't until I actually worked there that I understood it. You need to be completely dedicated to service of other people at the worst moments in their lives. You have to be able to be calm for them. Even if you feel like you don't know what to do, you have to pretend you know what to do. <laughs> as many years of experience as I have, Sometimes in my head, I think, what do I say? You just project calm because they need you to be calm. You need to be able to listen because they have a story to tell you. From that story, you'll be able to honor them and their loved one. You have a degree in the funeral service from Mount Ida College, just outside of Boston, in a city called Newton. When you got your degree, what exactly did that degree entail? What were you trained to do when you graduated? When I graduated, I was a fully licensed funeral director. I had worked as an apprentice while I was going to school. 
when I graduated, I became fully licensed to direct, go out into the world, sit down with families, start arranging funerals, taking them to the cemetery, but it's not so simple. It takes a long time to learn all of the nuances of the funeral business. It's really scary to be responsible for that. That was almost 30 years ago. What they have to go through now is much more difficult. You're responsible for a really big thing. You need to be trained extremely well. You're caring for someone's loved one. There's a lot of detail that needs to be paid attention to. I relied on every single person, and I still do rely on every single person I work with. I feel that it is a collaboration with everyone involved simply because there are so many details involved. The better people you have around you, the better you will be as a funeral director. When someone loses a loved one and they make that call and that loved one goes to you, it's your responsibility to fulfill the wishes of the family to provide a ceremony that speaks to who that person was, how important they were to everyone in their life. What an incredible responsibility. That family thought of you or your funeral home in that moment, your name, your reputation, the legacy of your funeral home meant something to that family so that they call you. A place like Levine's, has had that reputation for five generations. It's a pillar of the community. That legacy is so important. I carry that with me all the time. From the moment that phone call happens, regardless of the hour of the day or night, that family is entrusting their loved one to you and to your colleagues who work with you. We create a safe place for the family to have their experience of their funeral. It's about them. Your family is Jewish and burial traditions are different in your faith mm -hmm. and for Jewish chapels in general. As a Catholic, my traditions are very different. So mm -hmm. I want to learn. Can you teach me a little bit about the Jewish tradition when a person dies? Someone who would be very traditional should be buried as quickly as possible, within 48 hours, if it's possible, even the same day. There are traditions such as watchmen or even family members that will stay with the deceased that say prayers. That is so the soul is elevated to heaven. Oftentimes with more traditional families, they will ride either behind the hearse from the hospital to the funeral home and stay with that person until that person is buried. And during that period, there is a ritual preparation called a tahara. And that's a sacred ceremony performed by an Orthodox group it's a holy ceremony. Men perform the ceremony on men and women perform the ceremony on women. There are prayers said and the body is washed and wrapped 
it's very sacred and private. Once that ceremony is done, the body is placed in a traditional wood casket, preferably pine. All wood, no metal, no anything. It's very plain. The casket is closed. We don't traditionally view because the belief is that you're not to look upon someone who can't look back at you. The tahara is performed and then the burial takes place. So do you not embalm a body when you're practicing the Jewish faith? The only time, unless it was some really strange situation, if someone were to request an open casket for a family and that person has a really communicable disease, then we would have to. That decision is a health standard. Most often we don't. Is there specific protocol about the receiving of a body of someone who has died due to the coronavirus? Yes. This is tragic in so many levels because family members can't get to their, their loved ones because it's a health hazard. They're kept separate. They are put in double body bags. The body is then placed in the casket. It is extremely dangerous to open up the bags because of how communicable and transferable this disease is, not only to the family, but to the people who are working in and around the deceased. So in terms of what we're dealing with in funerals, it has changed our entire process. You know, one of the things that I've noticed a lot of people talking about is if a loved one has the coronavirus and they are in the end stages of their lives, they are dying alone and without anyone there to hold their hand or to look them in the eye as they close their eyes to feel loved. And what a heartbreak that is. And I'm guessing that it extends now to the funeral service because this sacred ceremony that you just described to me now can't happen. The most tragic thing that isn't being talked about, that they're dying alone. And then what happens after? That part of it is so disturbing to myself and my colleagues and this side of it. That particular moment for a dying person and the family that that person belongs to is so important because those are the moments that carry a grieving family forward and they're now robbed of that moment. I can't even imagine it. I was at my father's side when he passed. I was with him at that very moment when he gave up that last breath and his eyes had already been closed, felt it with him. I, I whispered, I love you. Mm-hmm. And he left me. He mm-hmm. left. He went away. Mm-hmm. And these people don't get a chance to do that. So now my next question to you is, enter the family of a coronavirus victim. They are probably beyond words upset. And then you have to tell them, I'm so sorry, we can't do the normal ceremony in our Jewish tradition. How has that been going? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. JC Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. We can't see them in the building. Everything's done remotely. Everything's done either Skype or Zoom. Everything's done through email or fax. When a service takes place, everything is graveside at the cemetery. No chapels, no gatherings, just immediate family, just 10 people. They come to the gate of the cemetery. The hearse and the cemetery counselor and the rabbi will go up to the site, handle the burial. One of my colleagues stays down at the gate with the family. She can't physically give someone a handout just to put it down and step away. And if they want it, they can come get it. The one moment in someone's life when we're supposed to gather around them and hug them and hold them and support them, we can't go near them. They're alone in their grief. The grief process has been interrupted. The burial process for a Jewish person is interrupted. And that burial process in and of itself provides closure. When we bring a funeral into the cemetery and we lower the casket, we're the ones that put the earth on the, on the casket. As difficult as that may sound, the family is left at the gate because they can't come on the cemetery. We have to protect the safety of our crew and we have to protect the safety of the family. I'm guessing that obviously these rules and regulations come from the health department and they would also cover any funeral of any faith. Yes, they are all the same and they are state and federal regulations. You work now in a little bit of a different part of your industry. You are now on the quote unquote cemetery side of the funeral business as the family service counselor for a place called the Sharon Memorial Park. You've walked us through your day during the coronavirus crisis, but I'm guessing that pre-crisis, your day was very different. It was going into the office. My hours were different than working in a funeral home, not quite as nonstop, more regimented hours, which was a nice change. Learning a, a different operation in a different way, again, appreciating the coordination of everybody's part. This just doesn't happen by one person. I, no matter how many times I had been in Sharon Memorial Park as a funeral director, 
it's just a massive operation. So I spent a lot of time learning, enjoying being there. The park is very calming. I have quickly learned the job itself. It's been really fascinating to me to learn that side. And I get to seeing in this role, I get to see many, many different funeral directors that I haven't seen because they all breeze through the building. And I'm able to reconnect with a lot of my other colleagues from different parts of the state. Reconnecting with them has been nice and seeing a lot of different clergy, which is very nice. And I'm social, so that's good. They have to keep me keep me from socializing too much. (laughs) (laughs) What have you learned about death that you could share with our listeners? It's the one thing we are all going to experience, and we often just don't want to talk about it. My message is, if you have people in your life that you love, then say your feelings to them now, always, and often, because death happens all the time. We may be ready for it. We may not be ready for it. We don't know. I'm always cognizant of making sure the people in my life know how I feel about them. I may not know if something may happen to them. Or to you. Right. What's the best piece of wisdom you've ever received in your life? Every family has a story. You are also the mother of two beautiful daughters, and I know you took some time off when they were born so that you could stay home with them. Can you tell me how did motherhood change you, and did it make you a better funeral director? Yes, it made me a better funeral director in some areas, yes. They taught me, I taught them for sure. I am very real with my girls. I don't give them gory details, but I don't hold anything back. I'm very open with them. I will say the biggest challenge I had being a mom and a funeral director is you've got the mom brain when you send your kids out into the world and you don't hear from them for whatever reason, you think, oh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I've got that mom brain, that panic brain, but my brain has also that funeral director brain, which is sort of like the mom brain on steroids. I became a little overprotective, but not realizing it. I wasn't a helicopter parent, but I became, it was difficult for me to let them go in certain ways. It wasn't until very, very recently when I decided that, you know what, I've raised you to be good kids. It's time for you to just go ahead. (laughs) Just I'm not going to pay attention. (laughs) When you know what things look like after an accident, and your own kids are going out in a car with someone else, that's hard. You have also been someone who found peace and serenity in yoga. And I find that every woman that I interview has that kind of quiet place that they go to that helps them thrive. What is it about yoga that you love and how has it worked well for you? It healed a lot. And I learned that it's okay to sit in silence, listen to your thoughts, that I can actually do that for a really long time. And sometimes that's really all I want to do. When you're faced with what we're facing now, I'm sitting in a lot of silence. I have music playing because I feel that I'm going to be needed 
by my colleagues and friends and families. This is just going to be rough. I think the emotional impact of what's going to come after is going to be really, really difficult for a lot of people. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I don't. I usually go through it. <laughs> <laughs> like a bulldozer? <laughs> uh, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have learned that success means different things to different people at different times in their lives. So at this moment, what does success mean to you? Happiness, feeling safe, being healthy, having a roof over my head, food on my table, my children are safe, family is safe and healthy. It's very simple. If you don't have your health, you don't have much. Wow, that really was something, wasn't it? Thanks so much to Deborah Wolf for sharing her story with us today. And from me to you and to your family, stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?